It's good to have Oren with us, leading us in worship. Uh, Aaron is uh, off on vacation. He and Jackie are out on the West Coast. He's trying to surf. <laughs> I wish I had a video of that. I'm, I, don't, I don't know if he's a good surfer or a pathetic surfer, but, you know, he's out there and probably teaching some of the boys how to surf. But it's good to have Oren here leading us. Uh, we've appreciated his ministry to us in the past. You know, in our worship, it's easy to go through the motions of worship and not think about what we sing or say or pray or, or so on. It's just always a, a struggle to reign in our mind, put distractions out of our mind and so on. I, I love this, this old hymn or the portions of it that we sang, High King of Heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, bright heaven's sun, heart of my own heart. I, I wish that was true that my heart, you know, was knit together so closely with Jesus that the, the, the two were like one. But that's the sentiment, heart of my own heart, whatever befall, no matter what, still be my vision, O ruler of all. It's great poetry. It's, it's great when it's true in our lives, too. And would that it would be true this morning, even as we worship him. Uh, pray with me. Father, we, we want now for you to be our vision. We want to hear from you. Uh, we want to um, understand better who we can be, who you want us to be. And uh, we pray that you would speak to us now as we look at your word. And even as we prepare our hearts to come to the table that is hosted by Jesus. And all of this we ask in his name. Amen. This morning, we're going to kind of wrap up this series that we've been in now for a few months on the life of Moses. Moses is now an old man in the passage we're going to look at. And when I say old, I mean old, 120 years old. He's not going into the promised land with God's people. In fact, he's going to be staying behind. In fact, he's going to be dying. That's what he's going to be doing. And he's going to be with the God that he has followed now for many, many years, through the ups, the downs, thick and thin, all kinds of trials and tribulations, blessings. I mean, he's seen God work in powerful, powerful ways. He's seen God be merciful and patient with a sometimes pathetic people. Um, and now Moses is going to go to be with him, he loves. And so Moses, Moses gathers all of Israel together. And uh, these are, of course, the children, you recall, of the ones who were slaves to Pharaoh. Uh, these are the children of those who worship the golden calf. The children that, uh, of the ones who complain about eating manna, then complain about not having meat. Um, they refused to enter the promised land because they were frightened of the people who lived there in the land of Canaan and thought there's no way possible that we can conquer this land that God is taking us to. Um, they were a motley crew. And these are the children who watched their parents fail in certain ways. And now it's their time. It's their time to enter into the promised land. And as I said, a motley crew, a lot like us, nobody perfect. Their parents weren't, and they, as the story unravels and unfolds, we find out are not perfect either. Um, and yet God loved them. That's the amazing thing, really, right there, that God loved them. And in fact, it was God's plan because he loved them to make them into a loving community of people who were changed, who were different on the inside because of their relationship to God. 
And Moses realizes, of course, that since he is not going to be around, he's not going to be there to lead the people. He's not going to be there to uh, kind of intercede for them when intercession is needed. We've seen several times where he did that. He's not going to be the one to guide them into the promised land. And so they are going to have to figure out certain things for themselves. They're going to have to make some choices, some decisions. Moses wonders, how can I let the people know exactly what is at stake here? And the passage that we're looking at this morning is, that's kind of the backdrop. That's why Moses says what he says, and that's partly why he says it the way he says it. And so he tells them that we've been on this journey now for 40 years, and now I'm done leading. I'm going to die. You must go on. You must decide, he says, who are you going to follow? That's the choice that's in front of them. And the story we look at this morning is really a story all about choice. And uh, it's not really any different for us today. Day in, day out, our life is a story about choices that we make. Good ones, bad ones, and so. Uh, This is a, a choice that the Israelites have to make. And Moses puts it in front of them. He's been challenging them to obey God. He's been rehearsing the law of God. Not because God is a God who's just in the laws, it's not that God is into, you know, here, here's what I want from you. You know, here, just keep the law, keep the law. You understand the subtext of the law is that the law is actually good for us. The law is given to us because God loves us and because it is good for us. Flourishing happens when we obey the law of God. And so Moses has been summarizing the law of God. He's been recounting the the many, many promises that God made to the Israelites in the covenant that God made with him. And then Moses says this. He says, now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to, to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask Who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. And then you will live and increase. And the Lord... Bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, these are the words of Moses to his people as he prepares to leave them, as they prepare to go into the promised land and he does not. And I think these words are just as relevant and powerful and challenging to us this morning uh, as they were to those Israelites in that day. And I want to remind us that there, there are always two paths. There's always two choices. 
There's always two ways, two roads. There is a way that leads to life and joy and freedom and purity and goodness. And that way is all about obeying God. It's all about listening to God, relating to God, doing life with God. There is a way that leads also, Moses says, to death. It's the opposite way. It's a path of denying God. It's a path of self-centeredness. It's a path of self-sufficiency, self-fulfillment that I would actually argue is not really fulfillment at all. It's actually a path to things like guilt and disappointment and regret and all kinds of brokenness. And the truth is, we all know a lot about both of these paths. And the decisions that we make around these kinds of things, these decisions really do matter. They matter more than we sometimes understand or comprehend. And so it's no casual thing when Moses looks to the Israelites gathered there that day and he says, choose life, choose life. And he calls heaven and earth to witness their decision. Every choice they make, every day they make those choices. You see, this challenge is just as relevant too for us today as it was for the Israelites hearing Moses' voice a long time ago. You see, the question is always, will I live my life in light of God's word, uh, recognizing his wisdom as opposed to my own? Will I live my life obeying his commands, submitting my will, my ways to his ways? That's the question. And Moses says there are choices to make. And he's not casual about this at all when he challenges the Israelites. He gives them uh, these, these two paths, their proper names. The one path is life and prosperity. And uh, there in verse 15. And in verse 16, he begins to describe it. He actually gives us three descriptions of this path of life and prosperity. First, he says, for I command you today to love the Lord your God. And that's the primary way of this way of life and prosperity. It's about love. It's all about love. Jesus, you remember, summarized all of the law of God. He boiled it all down to two things. He said, love God and love people or your neighbor. You do that and you fulfill all the law, Jesus says. You see, obeying God is not mechanical. It's not just getting a list of rules and following them. It's not a legalistic thing. Obeying God is more about loving God and relating to God and doing life with God. Jesus taught us that. Jesus demonstrated that, showed us what that looked like. No one has ever loved God or people the way that Jesus did. He loved people, of course, sacrificially. And he loved people also with the truth. Uh, Moses, interestingly, adds another description of this. He says that uh, we are, he says, I command you uh, today to love the Lord your God. But he goes on to say, and to walk in his ways there in verse 16. In other words, practice, practice living the truth. That's Moses' way of saying we should conduct ourselves wisely. Make right decisions. Use the truth that God gives us to guide us on our path. Stand up for what is right and what is good and what is just. So he says, first, you are to have a, a heart God. And secondly, you are to conduct yourself with wisdom. And then he gives us one more descriptive phrase of what this path looks like. He says, we are to keep God's commands, decrees, and laws. 
And these are, of course, overlapping terms. He doesn't mean something entirely different from any one of them. God has spelled out many things for us very clearly. He's defined moral boundaries for us in many areas. And he's done this not because he's just a detail-oriented rule keeper. He's done this because he loves us. He's done this to make love something that's concrete and clear. He doesn't want us to be vague or fuzzy or even sentimental about this thing of love. And so he says love doesn't murder. He says love doesn't commit adultery. Love doesn't steal. Uh, Love doesn't lie. Love doesn't covet. In other words, love acts in certain clearly defined ways, ways that actually reflect the character of God. Always, too, love acts in the best interest of others, which is what we always see God doing. Um, And so this, this path that Moses is describing, the path of life and prosperity, is uh, it's one way to live. Live loving God. Live walking in his ways. Live keeping his commands and his decrees and his laws. Moses says that if you live this way, if you make choices that reflect these kinds of decisions, you will thrive. He actually says you will increase. And he says you will know the blessing of God on your life. And you understand, of course, this isn't something you earn. It's not a performance deal. It's not do this and get that. That's not what Moses is saying. Moses just means that choosing this kind of life, making these kinds of choices, means that you will be living life as God intended. Your life will have meaning, it will have impact, it will have purpose. It will also have problems. But in the midst of those problems, in the midst of challenges of every kind, God will be there with you and you will be honoring God. Your life will be built, if you will, on a firm foundation. It's exactly what Jesus meant when he said these words. Jesus said one time, therefore, if anyone who hears these words of mine, he had just finished teaching, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. He says, therefore, if anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. That's what Moses is talking about. The same thing Jesus was talking about. That's... um, That's the way of life and prosperity, listening to, practicing the wisdom that we are given in the word of God. And it's a well-marked way. It's not hard to discover this path. That's what Moses meant when he said, now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. Uh, There's a very true sense in which the law of God, the truth of God is already near every human being. It's already in us. In fact, philosophers and theologians refer to this as the innate knowledge of God. Every human being has an innate, a God-given, created knowledge of who God is and, and some of what his character is like. Everybody has it, even those who deny the very existence of God. In fact, our lives are more or less based on that awareness of God's truth. 
For example, we all know what justice is because we all feel uh, like we're being treated unjustly when someone doesn't treat us fairly. It doesn't mean we treat others fairly, but you see, it's innate. We have a sense. We know when we're not being treated fairly. It's an innate knowledge of God. It comes from the character of God. And this path or way um, is not hard to find. Jesus actually demonstrated this path, this knowledge of God. Moses wants us to know that the choices we make must be, if they're good for us, must be governed by God's truth. Even in confusing, obscure, and difficult circumstances or situations. Why? Because God loves us. His laws, his commands, they guide us. They give us wisdom in difficult and confusing situations. And also because God knows us best and God is good. His laws are meant to bring blessing in our lives. You know, the truth of the matter is we live in a world that is all the time putting forth certain views, certain ideas, certain philosophies of life. And these are very often in our culture and in our world contradictory to the teaching, the commands of God. And it can be quite confusing sometimes. Um, uh, one example that I'm bumping into more and more these days is we hear a great deal about gender issues and gender confusion and people's personal preferences and what restrooms they want to use or don't want to use. Sexual preference and sexual practice. And, you know, there's such a thing as being pan nowadays with regards to gender and preference and sexual preference and which I think means anything anything goes right confusion uh, sometimes these uh, you know can seem almost um, hard to fathom um, you know when we hear about uh, gender questions that young people are wrestling with in schools today uh, you know, am I, a, am I a man? Am I a, am I a girl? Which one do I choose to be? Very, 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 very harmful and very, very hurtful, but very real concerns that young people are wrestling with today more and more and more. And yet I would say in all of this, understand God's word is near and God's meaning is clear. Um, it's not far off and beyond reach. God's word, his commands, his decrees, and his laws are essentially guides that can help us navigate these kinds of things. At the risk of being overly simple, let me just kind of lay this out and you can criticize me later. Um, you know, here's the thing. If you are, uh, uh, almost always this is true, and you can challenge me later, but if you're born with male anatomy, you are a boy. You with me so far? And if you are born with female anatomy, you are a, yeah. Uh, and as a boy and a girl, understanding that all boys are different than other boys, all girls can be different, you know? Some like to climb trees, some hate that idea, that notion, but we're all different. Boys and girls can be different from one another. But as a boy, you have to figure out, or as a girl, you have to figure out how you're going to live your life. What choices are you going to make? And chiefly, you have to figure out how you're going to relate to other people, how you're going to love them. And you can do that in line with God's laws, or you can do that on your own, trying to figure out who you will be and how you will live. But the word of God would challenge us to believe that the only way to thrive 
The only way to flourish is to listen to God and wrestle through our confusions and our difficulties in light of what he tells us. Um, And I would just say, friends, that that is true no matter what. That is true no matter what our culture says, no matter what the government says. Now, having said that is not having said enough. Um, Because having said that doesn't diminish the fact that there is real confusion. There is real hurt. There is real heartache and pain around these kinds of matters in the lives of real people, people who God cares about, people that matter to God. And so understand when the Bible talks about things, uh, gender issues, sexuality, uh, things like homosexuality, for example, it places homosexuality in a list of other things that the Bible identifies as sin. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, and he has this list of things that he says are descriptive of the people who now follow Jesus. He says some of you were sexually immoral, some of you were uh, idolaters, some were adulterers, some were in prostitution, some were homosexuals, some practiced theft, some practiced greed, some practiced drunkenness, some practiced slander, some practiced swindling, and things of that nature. So my point is, We don't lack clarity around whether those things in a list like that uh, are good to practice or bad to practice, are good or evil, sinful or morally good. But we also don't lack clarity around how to treat people who are sexually immoral. We don't lack clarity around how to treat idolaters or how to treat adulterers or how to treat people who practice prostitution, or uh, people who live a gay or homosexual lifestyle, or people who practice theft, or practice being greedy, or practice uh, being drunk, or practice slander, or practice swindling. We have to figure out how to love those people with truth and also with grace. Because understand, that whole list is us. I mean, it's who we are. Paul even says that uh, there when he writes to the church at Corinth. He says, you know, this list of things, these broken things, are things that all of you participated in. Um, You know, we also have wisdom in Scripture uh, from Jesus because Jesus showed us what we do with people who practice adultery, what we do with people who practice collecting taxes, uh, unjustly? What do we do with people who practice a lifestyle of prostitution? What do we do with people who are greedy, who slander? What do we do with people who practice a gay, a lesbian, a homosexual lifestyle? What do we do with people uh, who practice a lifestyle of drunkenness and swindling and so on? Well, what we do is we show patience and we show kindness and we offer forgiveness and grace and we love them. You know, Jesus didn't command a change of behavior before a change of allegiance. I mean, when we change our allegiance from myself or just my own happiness to wanting to give that allegiance to Jesus, it starts a chain reaction happening inside us. Uh, it, charged, it, it, it begins a process of transformation. And Jesus says the way of life the way of prosperity, it's, it's not an obscure thing. It involves doing two things, loving God 
and loving people and loving them sacrificially and with truth. You don't get to sacrifice, you know, truth for the sake of love. No, love always moves in the direction of truth. This is the way of life and prosperity. Have I totally confused you all? No? Okay. And then Moses describes this other way. He calls it the way of death and destruction. And he describes it as well in three different ways in Deuteronomy 30. He says, first of all, he says, if your heart turns away, that's the first descriptive phrase he uses to describe this this way of death and destruction. If your heart turns away. And here he's referring to this idea of a loss of devotion. Uh, a loss of perspective, a loss of truth, a loss of the awareness of God's love and God's goodness. And these are things that we forget and, and uh, our heart turns away from these kinds of things very quickly. We, we can very quickly forget that God's law is actually meant for my good as opposed to it's just meant to limit my fun, you see. But when a heart turns away, there's this loss of devotion. This is where your heart no longer is warm and tender and open towards the things of God. That's a wayward heart. And once that happens, it leads to other things. He uses this next phrase, this descriptive phrase, and you are not obedient. Literally, literally what it says, and you will not hear. So if your heart turns away and you will not hear, here's the thing. You see, God is always speaking to all of us, always. And the question is whether or not we listen to him. A wayward heart doesn't listen. A wayward heart isn't open. A wayward heart has made choices to close doors or ears and really plot one's own course. You see, we're making choices all the time and we either make those choices with an open heart towards God and what he says, the wisdom of his word, or we don't listen to those things. And we make our choices based on what? What what I want, what I want. Those choices can lead to terrible places. Moses says uh, there's this, this other way involves being drawn away. He uses to describe it, to bow down to other gods and worship them. So this, uh, this way of death and destruction is one that I'm drawn away to, to bow down to other gods and to worship them. And the key idea is this thing of being drawn away. Moses knows that people like all of us in this room, we don't intend to march off and bow down to other gods. We don't usually start there. It just happens. Usually in small, unguarded steps. You know, just dabbling in things like pornography. I'm just dabbling. Or I'm just dabbling in the pursuit of my own personal success at the expense of other things. I'm just dabbling. Or I'm just dabbling in my pursuit of security and comfort because I'm sure that's where my happiness lies. And I do that to the exclusion of other things, more important things. Or I'm just dabbling in the pursuit of wealth. Or I'm just dabbling in my own kind of self-centeredness or my pursuit of power or my addiction to substance, to drugs, what have you. We don't even recognize that we are bowing down to other gods. All of those things become gods that can own us. But at first, we're just a little bit drawn away, you see. 
And then slowly we conform to the gods of the world. Moses says there is a consequence to this road, this path, this way. And that consequence is death and destruction. It's a loss of self. It's a loss of community. It's a loss of life. It's a loss of God's blessing. And Moses says, you've got to choose. That's what he's challenging the Israelites to do, choose. And he tells them to choose life. Now, at this point, you may wonder, you know, why does Moses even bother to say it this way? Because, you know, if you were actually, let's say, driving down a road and you came to a fork in the road and there's a sign there. And, you know, on one part of the fork, it says death. And on the other part of the fork, it says life. Which are you going to choose? I mean, oh, let me pray about it, right? I mean, it seems obvious. Why does Moses put it like this? Why the stark contrast? Well, I think what's going on is Moses is pointing out that sometimes the things that we think will lead us to life actually, in fact, lead us to death. Um, I've got a stupid story, uh, but it kind of helps make the point. I'll, I'll tell it. This is going way back in years for me to when I was in high school. My family bought a ski boat. First time we ever took the boat out, we were kind of learning about the boat and how it operated and so on. I'd been skiing on two skis for a while, and I thought it would be very cool to learn to ski on one, particularly, too, because I had a girlfriend in the boat, and I thought she would be impressed. And uh, it occurred to me, you know, really living, real life would be slalom skiing, not two skis. So I had my dad, you know... um, try to pull me up out of the water on on one ski. You know, I would say, hit it, and he would. You know, he would accelerate. But try as we might, and we tried over and over and over, the boat just wouldn't pull me up and out of the water. It would kind of just drag me through the water until I got to the point where I was pretty exhausted. My arms felt like they were going to fall off, right? And so I got the boat, and when I got back in the boat, I'm looking at the dash of the boat, and I see this red button, and it says power tilt. I'm thinking, hmm. I don't know much about boats, but stands to reason that if you change the angle of the transom, you might get more power and more speed. And I wanted to experience life, right? So I changed the power tilt. Turns out we had it set to probably the, the least powerful position. I put it to the most powerful position. And um, we soon learned that that's like giving a boat steroids is the way this works. So I hop back into the water, I put on the one ski, and I get myself set up and ready to go, and I yell, hit it, and my dad does. The engine roared to life. It shot ahead like a rocket. I was up immediately out of the water on one ski, flying. And I was holding on to the rope so tightly for dear life, I couldn't use any of the normal hand signals like, you know, faster, slower, you know, cut it. All I could do was just hold on. And I was yelling, yelling, slower, go slower. And my dad couldn't hear. I think he thought I was saying sore, sore, you know, go faster. So faster we went. And I was absolutely terrified until the point, I guess, my, my dad finally saw the expression on my face and jerked the throttle back. Boat came to a pretty quick stop. I did not. I executed a very clever maneuver where I hit the water going 40 miles an hour. But don't fear, I kind of blunted the force of that with my face. And somehow I managed to cut my leg with the the metal fin on the slalom ski. Uh, My arms felt like they'd been jerked out of the socket. I'm pretty sure I had some nerve damage in my face for a while. All from a little red button. 
a button that I thought would give me life. Turns out it was the button of death. (laughs) Now, that's a stupid story. I know it, but it, it makes a point, I hope, that the things that we sometimes think will bring us life end up bringing us very nearly to death. Once upon a time, I thought being popular would bring me life. And I was so drawn to wanting to be popular, um, I eventually just bowed down to this thing of popularity, whatever it took. I let popularity lead me into buying, selling, and doing drugs in high school. I let popularity lead me into vandalism, into stealing cars, and all kinds of other foolish and destructive and hurtful things. I let popularity lead me to slide down a huge dam one time because a girl was watching and the water is spilling over the spillway of the dam and I thought it would be a good idea to stand up and kind of surf it down to the bottom. Don't worry, I did fall, but you know, once again, I blunted the fall with my face and I ended up going to the hospital and getting stitches. I nearly, probably nearly killed myself. Point is this, seeking to be popular became a way that nearly led to death for me in more than one way. Popularity led me to cheat in school, sacrifice my integrity, lie to my parents, sometimes lie to my friends, led me to destroy my health for a time with the things I was putting in my body, led me to misusing money, all because I thought the way that I had chosen was the way to life. But I was wrong. Turned out instead to be the way to death. And when we go down that way, it's usually because we've been drawn away a little bit at a time. Until eventually our conscience, our integrity, our health, our moral fiber are nearly dead. And so things like cheating and stealing and lying and coveting are all easy to do. They become easy to do. It looked like life to me, but it turned out to be death. And here's the point. When we choose to break the commandments of God, which are actually given to us and meant for our good, we set our lives at cross purposes to the very things that will help us flourish and make us flourish. You see, instead of being generous like God, we decide to be greedy. That leads to a terrible place. Instead of learning to love people, even people different than us, people who believe different things, we choose to hate them and condemn them, and that will lead to some awful places. Instead of choosing to serve others, instead of, no, you serve me, instead of choosing the truth over falsehood, because there are times when you just have to stand on the truth. Standing on the truth, by the way, doesn't mean condemning people who don't accept the truth, but it still means you stand on the truth, right? Instead of honesty, you know, you, you give in to lies and deception because it feels like that covers your tracks. Usually when we choose a path like that, we pay a price. Usually our lives become a wreck spiritually, and relationally, physically, and emotionally. And that is why Moses said, but if your heart turns away, you see, from God, from his law, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly 
be destroyed. It was a warning. It was a warning out of love and care and concern. You see, that's the way of death. And there are two ways of leading our lives. There's the way of life and prosperity. And there's the way of death and destruction. And we come to forks in the road all the time, maybe dozens, maybe hundreds, I don't know, maybe thousands of times in any given day. It's the choices we make. And there are consequences to all of them. All of those choices matter. Maybe there are some neutral choices. I don't think there are too many neutral choices. You see, over and over and over again, whether we know it or not, we choose life or we choose death. We do this in our finances. We do this in our relationships, and our families. We do this in the choices of food that we eat. I won't go there. We do this in the schedules we keep and the substances we take. We make choices. Understand those choices lead to life or they lead to death. Moses gave God's people God's law. And then he said, this day I challenge heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. You see, witnesses are needed for moments of real importance, not usually casual moments, but moments of real importance. Things like signing a treaty or making vows to another person in the the context of a marriage covenant. Witnesses guarantee that what happens will be remembered. Moses says, I'm not going to be around much longer, so I call heaven and earth to witness the choices that you are going to make. In other words, don't be deceived. What he's saying to them is, your choices matter. Witnesses are needed. And so he tells them in a very poetic way. He says, the sky, the trees, the rivers, the waters, they are witnesses. Whether we choose life or whether we choose death, It's powerful. It's poignant. There are witnesses. And Moses looks at the people that he's led for over 40 years. These are people he loves. He's come to love them. And he says, now choose life. This is the passion, really, of a shepherd. Now choose life, he says, so that you and your children may live and that you may love. You see, it's about relationship. Love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast. Because here's the deal, for the Lord is your life. Up the, these words of Moses in Romans chapter 10, he says, this offer of life has come to us supremely in Jesus. And so today when we talk about choosing life or choosing death, that's the language we actually use. That's the language we embody over and over and over. Jesus, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. That's the title he took to himself. And the interesting thing about Jesus is he's right here too. He's not far away. He's not in heaven so that you have to go after him and bring him down. He's not in the depths of the sea so that you have to go and bring him up. He's not uh, in the place of the dead. Jesus is right here, right now, right close and always is, always is. The apostle Paul there in Romans 10 says this. He says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You will be rescued. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. What he's saying is anyone who trusts in Jesus will never go down that path 
of death and destruction. Because Jesus is the way. And Jesus is the truth. And Jesus is the life. And so the choices we make every day, will I follow him or will I not, are life and death choices. And so for God's sake, and for the world's sake, and for your sake and the sake of your children, if you have them, choose life. Choose Jesus. Jesus.